Welcome to the NECF Podcast, where we share our weekly sermons and faithfully interpret the Bible to encourage and direct you on your spiritual path. We're our devoted pastors and special guests delve into the depths of the Bible, exploring its profound lessons and useful applications for your daily life. Join us as we explore the timeless truth that have the power to change people's hearts and minds, promoting a closer relationship with God and a firm belief in His promises. All Jesus came to do on earth is for the local church. And if you're a member of the local church, then all that He came to do is for you. To balance it is that all, all Jesus came to do for you is also for you to remain in the local church. Hello there. Are you a part of the local church? Have you ever been in situations where decisions were made and you did not like? How did you react to them? Did they make you feel bad? Today, Pastor Adeusi Emmanuel spoke on a topic, my conduct in the local church. He delved into many details of how a believer should behave in the local church. He also emphasized that everything that happens in the church should be for the edification of the body of Christ and not for individual interest. So next time you feel upset, ask yourself, what is good for the body of Christ? Why don't you listen to the entire session, take notes, and be edified? Hallelujah. Amen. It's time for the words. Ask the person, are you ready for the word? Church is a place where, you know, we receive the word and we grow in it. Hallelujah. So last week, uh, Pastor Kwasin concluded his sermon and he said something. Uh, actually, I'll be repeating his sermon. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have you heard that before? Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll be repeating the exact same sermon today. Remember looking like, is this pastor prepared at all? Or maybe he was not prepared. <laughs> maybe just, for two weeks, three weeks, that someone has been on ground. And he came last week. So you will hear it today again, but you will hear it in a different light. Do you get it? So what was the title of last week's teaching? The local church. All right. Today's teaching is my conduct in the local church. Write it that way. My conduct in the local church. You see, all that Jesus came to do, right? Let me start from this. All that Jesus came to do is for the local church. Interestingly, all that Jesus came to do on it is for what? Is for the local church. So it means that if you are a member of the local church, are we together? It means that all that he came to do is for you. Hallelujah. So I'm saying it again that all Jesus came to do on earth is for the local church. And if you're a member of the local church, then all that he came to do is for you. To balance it is that all, all Jesus came to do for you is also for you to remain in the local church. Did you get how I went back forth and back to the local church? So all that Jesus came to do on earth is for the local church. Because you are a member, you are partaker of that. And you are partaker of that not to be an outsider, but to remain in the local church. So the local church is not a place where you come once in a while. Okay? The local church is not a few good place. You need to get that. It's not a place where you come to feel a little bit spiritual. The local church is not a place where you come on Christmas Day, New Year, Easter, three times in a year, and you still claim to be a believer. No. So Jesus actually came to do all that he did so that you can remain in the local church. Hallelujah. So, it means that we need to talk about how I conduct myself in the local church, right? So, one of the main conducts, you should write it down. One of the main conducts in the local church is participation. It is a given. When you're in a local church, you participate. Do you get it? 
You One of the given in the local church is participation. It is not speculation. So if you have been coming to this church, you just come, you don't do anything. You are not participating. You are not doing what Christ has instructed you to do. So when you join a local church, you don't join to sit down and fold your hands. You don't join just to come once in a month. You don't join just to, you know, just to find a place where you can maybe pray about your needs. No, that's not a local church. The local church is a place where participation is given. Now, we quickly sort out three understanding about the local church. So if you open the scriptures, right, if you begin to search the scriptures, there are four areas or there are four ways by which um, the, a concept is used to describe the local church. And that concept is called the body. So the body of Christ is the means by which we also call the local church. So another name for the local church you can write is the body of Christ. So you can write it down. Another name for the local church is the body of Christ. The church is a school. So if you're looking at me, you're not writing, you are cheating yourself. Let me say it that way. Because you are supposed to be learning and be writing. So the church is a local church. And that is, the, the body of Christ is a local church. So Luke chapter 22, verse 14. I want us to show us some places where the same word body was used in the church, in the scriptures, but it was not used as a local church. It was used in a different context. That is why when you are reading the Bible and as a Bible student, Greek and Latin or Hebrew or Aramaic is not sufficient for you to understand the context. Did you hear that? So if you say that you want to have the interlinear and all those things, it's not sufficient. So you have to use the Greek and you use the context. Do we get it? That's why the context is part of the most important things when you're reading the Bible. So Luke chapter 22 verse 14. We've dealt with this place a lot. So, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, This, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves, and I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the first context of the word body is figuratively describing the sacrifice of Christ. So you can write it down. That this first context, the body means the sacrifice of Christ. So it is figuratively explaining that Christ, talking about his literal body, right, would go through suffering and would die. So at this point, we're talking about his literal body, not the body of Christ, which is church. So we're going to see four places where this word is used. So we see that John chapter 2, verse 19, another figurative area by which Jesus uses uh, his body as an example. So John chapter 2, verse 19. It says, from verse 8, from, from verse 18. It says, so did you say to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said then to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? For he was speaking about the temple of his words, of his body. So Jesus also used the body figuratively as an explanation of a sacrifice. The next scripture is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 30, 22. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, which we probably will have to come back to. So we are checking scriptures that use the word body and understanding them in context. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. It said, And he had put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all to the church, which is what? The body. The fullness of him who fits what? All in all. So here in Ephesians, it's talking about the body as the church. So that's the second context. The first context, the body figuratively explaining what Jesus would do. 
Second context, the body as the church of God. I'm mentioning these four contexts because it helps us to understand something. The third context is Romans 6, verse 6. So we'll run quickly to it. Romans 6, verse 6. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Your old self is crucified with him so that the old self will be brought to nothing. It's talking about the body of sin. It's talking about your body before you believe. It's talking about your conduct before you believe. So it's crucified with Christ. So we see this context also using the word body to describe what? The old man, the, the, the old self. The last context is 1 Corinthians 6.19. This is just trying to, you know, set us on the pace of what we want to go through today. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. So, or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your words. In your body. Now, it's talking about the new man, right? It's talking about your new man. Because your new man is that which is the temple of God. Do we get it? Are we together? So you tell your neighbor, so your new man is the temple of God. So glorify God in your body. So now, the three contexts that links together is the context of the sacrifice of Christ... The context of the body of Christ and the context of the new man. They link together in the sense that what Christ came to do in his body. Are we together? What Christ came to do in his body is for the body of Christ. Okay? For the body of Christ, which is the church. So most of the time, we always think about ourselves alone. And that is actually the essence of this teaching. Because when you come to church, some things happens in church. And the first thing you think of is how it affects you, not the body of Christ. Do we get what I said? That when we come to church, some things happen and somebody's teaching or somebody's correcting or somebody's praising. And the first thing you think is that it's about you. The correction you're getting today that is, is, is that it's not about you. Do you get that? When we gather together like this, it's not about you. It's about the glory to God and the body of Christ. So when you come to church and somebody corrects you, I'm already moving faster than I should, but I'm going to say that in case my time do not reach. Yes. So when somebody corrects you in the body of Christ, right, your mindset should be focused on how does this correction impact our gathering? Do you get that? I'm correct that the, the Bible says is the one who fits all in all, rise together. Do we get it? So, we are from different places, but by the virtue of the sacrifice of Christ, you are into a family. You are fitted into a family. So, when things happen in the body of Christ, when the pastors and the leaders do certain things to you, your first thinking is, I believe this is for the growth of the body of Christ. Do you get it? When corrections are made, when, you know, decisions are made, it might not suit you. Sincerely, sometimes it might not be comfortable for the individual. That is the truth. It might not be comfortable for the individual. But you must always remind yourself that the sacrifice of Christ is for the body of Christ. And you are part of it. Hallelujah. So I said that figuratively what Christ did as sacrifice is for the body of Christ. And because you have a new man, your own body then you conduct yourself what's in the body of Christ, which is the church of God. All right. So, Matthew 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. Sorry. All right. Very popular scripture, and it was read last week. From verse 16, it said, Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 
and I, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Hallelujah. He said, I will do what? I will build my church. Now, the word church, right, the word church, most of the time when we ask, oh, what is church? So they called out, um, called out, called out people and things like that. Now, the word church is actually ecclesia. We said it last week, so we're going to say it again. I'm saying I'm repeating it. So I will build my church. Now, the church, the word church there is ecclesia. Now, the reason is because I'm using that word because I need to explain to you that what Jesus is building, like the church, is not just about you. All right. So ecclesia, and the first word, which is from, is ek, which is ek, which is a compound word. The word ek compound means it encompasses a lot. Do we get it? So ek is a compound word. So it's not a singular word. It's not a word referring to an individual, but in word encompassing, all encompassing. That is ek, so ecclesia. And the word kaleo is actually the calling out of a people. The calling out of a people. If you're a Bible student, you will, your mind will go to many things uh, in the scripture. So, the word ek is compound, meaning that encompassing many. And the word kaleo means to call out a people. So, what Jesus is doing is not to call out an individual. It's to call out a people. A people. Do we get it? So, it simply means that what Jesus came to build is a family. Do we agree on that? So, Jesus came to build a family. I wrote it here. I said, calling out of a people, a people who are called out. So no man is a church. No man is what is a church. So when we do things in the church, the impact is also, is also not onto one man, but onto the edification of what? Everybody. Do we get it? So the edification of everybody, that is why when we were praying, we we're talking about spirituals. And I said, I will have you not to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. So what does the question will be? Why should I not be ignorant about spiritual gifts? It is for the edification of the church. So it means Jesus was actually coming for a people. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. Let's run there. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. The, the essence is that when things happen in church, you don't first think of yourself. You think of how this contributes to the growth of the church. It says, so God created man in his own image. And in the image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he did what? He created he, them. Hallelujah. So the creation, of course, we know that this part of the scripture is talking about God creating, God making man to be found in his own image. Hallelujah. So it's not talking about, you know, the flesh, the bones, and all the stuff. He's talking about the new man that is found in God. Do we get it? So, and he's talking about that. It means that he's not talking about one person. Are we together? So when God was saying, let's create man, he's not talking about just you. He's talking about a family, a group of people. Humanity in his own image and likeness. So you are saying that even from Genesis, the plan of God was not just for an individual, it's for a family. Family. Good. Quickly. We run to Genesis again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Some of you that were in Catechismus already know what is, you know the right interpretation of the scriptures now, the understanding that is derived from the scriptures. It said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now, <clears throat> let me not say what I want to say. Let me just go to the next scripture. Hold on to this part and we'll go to the next scripture. So that you will not say I'm misquoting or I'm misinterpreting scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13. I'm just going to say how Corinthians explain that plot. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 first. Let's go to verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. What we are trying to see is to understand if God actually came for one person or for a family. And I'm trying to give you evidences from the scripture that he came for a family. Because that will affect your conduct in the body of Christ. If you have that mindset. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Referred back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Saying that... God 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of what? Of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So it means that when, when, when Moses was writing this and saying, God said, let there be light, he was talking about the giving of the knowledge of Christ to man. Hallelujah. He was talking about what? The giving of the knowledge of Christ to who? To man. Because it was man that was without void and was without form. Are we getting it? So most of the time, we have actually interpreted it and we have taught it that this was actually about the physical creation. Hallelujah. How many of you have thought this is, a, this is about physical creation? Just raise your hand. You've thought that this is about physical creation. But if you want to understand things like this, sometimes you have to go to the explanation that is found in the epistles. Do you get it? And you will see how the epistles use it. So, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, is saying that when God said that, he was talking about the knowledge of Christ that is going to come to man. And man will become a living being. And man would actually be found in the image of God. Hallelujah. So, if you also read it, it says that, has shone in our hearts. So he's talking about a people. Talking about a family. Hallelujah. So, the summary of this is that whatever happens in the body of Christ and what Christ did is for a family. It's for a people to be called out. It's for salvation and deliverance of the church. So, last week, Pastor Costin was also teaching and he was saying that, he taught us, he said, in the body of Christ, there are weak Christians, right? In the body of Christ, there are Christians that can behave carnally. There are Christians that are strong. There are believers that are weak and, you know, and in different variations. Now, the reason why the conduct of a believer is important is because it helps you to leave the stage of being weak and being carnal. So you can write it down, that my conduct... According to the scripture, write it down. My conduct according to the scriptures. My conduct as a believer according to the scriptures. Makes me stronger. And makes me spiritual. My conduct as a believer according to the scriptures. Makes me stronger. And makes me spiritual. It means give expression to the things of the Spirit. So therefore, we can say God's plan is for a church through Christ. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Can we go there? Ephesians 5 verse 25. This is another final example that I'm just going to give. He said, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Did you see that? Husband loves your wife as does what? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water with the, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything such or any such thing that she might be holy and without words blemish. So, the church is not just all about you. It's about the body of Christ. It's about Ephesians 4 verse 12. Ephesians 4 verse 12. You can write down. You can check that as well. It said, from 11, it said, he gave the apostles, the prophet, and the evangelists, and the shepherd and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of what? The body of Christ. So whatever is taking place in the body of Christ is what? It's for the building up of the body of Christ. So when you check the scriptures, you see that the, the church, you know, the church, the early churches, whatever they do in their sharing, in their conduct, is centered not about one person, but about the body, the impact of it on the body of Christ. All right, Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Let's quickly go through Acts, Acts chapter 7. 
Because Stephen was actually describing a people. Stephen was describing a people. And in his description, he called them a church. Okay? He called them a church. In this description, he called them words a church in verse 38. He said, this is he, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke with him at Mount Sinai and with our father. So it was actually talking about Moses here. Are we together? Are we together? So it was talking about Moses in this context. However, what made Stephen to call those people, those people in the wilderness, a church? Right? So the question is, what made, you can write down, what made Stephen to call them a church? We can't go through the whole Acts chapter 7 because it's a long reading, but I'm just going to pick out some points for you. For you to understand what a church is, then we now see, how should I conduct myself in a church? Acts chapter 7 from verse 5. Acts chapter 7 from verse 5. So we'll start picking it. Yet he gave him no inheritance. I think I'll read from verse 4. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Aaron. And after his father died, God removed him. God removed, sorry, God removed him from there into the land in which you are living now. Yet he gave him no inheritance, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that the offspring will be sojourners in the land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years, but I would judge the nation that, I would judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they have come out, after that, and after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. Hallelujah. So we are using a picture, if you have been following the teaching, there's what they call hypodigma, right? We are using a picture of a type and a shadow of a church, which is Israel in the wilderness. This is a type and shadow of a church, and that is why Stephen called them a church. The first reason why he called them a church is because they are a people that have come out to worship. Do we get it? They are a people that have come out to worship. So the first reason why a people can be called a church is because they have come out and they are serving. Do we get it? So you are a church, or we are a church, because we have been called out and we are serving. So it means that you are not just called out to fold your hands. But you are called out to do what? To serve. The word worship there is actually service. So if you are a believer and you are part of a local church, you are called out to serve. All right. The second reason why we can see. The second reason why we can see that Stephen actually called them a church is because there is the promise of eternal life for them. So you can write it down. For Egypt, for, uh, sorry, for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, there is the promise of eternal life for them. So it means that there is promise of deliverance, there is promise of salvation to them. And that is why you will see, talking about the offspring of Abraham, and people are thinking, oh, they think he was talking about, he's not talking about possessing the land. He's talking about them being possessed by God, receiving eternal life. Do we get it? So Israel was also delivered. Do we get it? Israel was delivered. A picture of salvation. A copy and shadow of salvation that is to come. So they are a church because they came out and they, they are called to serve. They are a church because there's a promise of eternal life and they are called also, they are a church because there's a leadership there. So write it down. They are a church because there's a leadership there. So no church grows without leadership. No church grows without leadership. No church can grow without a leader. So if you're attending a church and you say, who is their lead pastor? And they say, all of us are pastors. You should be careful. Because it means that anything is acceptable in that church. Are you listening to me? So you enter a church and say, who is the head pastor? All of us are pastors. We're a committee of pastors. Like a communist party. Even a communist party has a chairman. <clears throat> Hallelujah. 
So no church grows without leadership. So it means that the body of Christ is meant to be subject to what? The leadership of the church. And that is why you see that Moses keeps struggling with these people. Keeps struggling with these people. You know, while I was teaching, I was just trying to compare Moses and the pastors of this church. And I was trying to see <laughs> if we just oppose, maybe some of you should be under Moses. And let's see how you will conduct yourself in the church, in the wilderness. Maybe some of, some of us will be like Korah, Dada, and Abiram, and many things will go wrong. You know, here the pastors are very lenient, you will agree with me, and kind and patient. A church must have leadership. Now, if you go to the church in Corinth, I'm just going to say this in person. If you go to the church in Corinthians, I've thought it before and I've said it that the problem of this church is what? Everybody. The problem of the church in Corinthians is what? Disorder, right? I said it. I said, it's not just sexual immorality. It's, not, it's disorder. From beginning, they already started saying that I'm for Paul. I'm from Apollos. Those two people are not the two pastors in that church. They mentioned Barnabas in that same book. They mentioned Peter in that same book. They mentioned many people, in the, like people that are teachers. In fact, Paul had to come and say, you have many teachers, but only me is your father. You have many instructors. Because in that church, there were truly many instructors. And so, in a church, there has to be a leader. There has to be someone who is leading. Hallelujah. So, we have seen an example of a church, right? God painting to them, painting to us, that his intention is for a people. So when you ask yourself, what's the big deal about Israel? Why, why are they so special? Why is he Abraham? It's because God is focusing on painting a picture to us of a family, of God's family, of God's people. That I'm not coming just for an individual, but I'm coming for a people. So although Israel missed it because they misunderstood the chosenness of God upon their life. Hallelujah. So, now, someone can say, but these people are unbelievers, but you call them a church. It's the same thing to you, right? Because it was a picture of deliverance. So, it means that deliverance was offered to Israel, but did not receive it. Do we get it? So, God's deliverance has nothing to do with what you can do. Hallelujah. So, God's grace and deliverance has nothing to do with what you do or what you don't do. That is why the coming out of Israel was about the strength of God bringing them out. All right, so the last subtopic that we just... So I've just been able to clear to see that it's about a church, not about you. Now, you can write this down. God's provision and my attitude. God's provision and my attitude. God's provision and my attitude. Number one. The first provision of God, the moment you believe, is your identity. You can write it down. What God gives you, the moment you believe, is identity. It means that you become a believer. You have eternal life in you. So, you should write it. That my first provision is that I have an identity with God. And my responsibility is to grow in my identity. That is why you will not be a carnal Christian. That is how you will not be a Christian that is rebellion. That is why you will not be a believer that misconducts himself. That is why you will not be a baby believer. So for you not to be all those things, the way is to grow up in your identity. Also, I want to quickly correct something. You know, in, in the body of Christ, especially in where we come from, because we are so diverse in ethnicity and... Um, ethnicity and, you know, tribes and stuff like that. When somebody come into the church, right, and let's say the person misconducted himself, let's say the person get angry and outburst of anger was expressed, don't say it is because he's from Igbo tribe. Don't say it's because he's Yoruba. Don't say it's because he's ethnic. Or don't say it's because he's, um, which other tribe? He's Shona. Don't say that. When you do that, you have removed the identity of Christ away from the person. Even you, you remove the identity of Christ from you. You now treat the person on the base of tribe. Don't do that. When people come into the body of Christ, every identity of such is dissolved. So you deal with the person based on the knowledge of Christ. So how do I deal with the person? I can tell the person, brother, 
You are allowing your old self to manifest. That is correct. You are allowing carnality to take hold of you. That is correct. Do we get it? So when you come in, these identities are dissolved. Because in, war, in Christ, we are what? We are one body. We are a family. So in correcting somebody in the, in the church of God, don't let your, perspe- your, your, perspective or, sorry, your perspective or your perception be based on ethnicity or tribe. Because identities is only based on the new man. Do we get it? So your duty is to continue to study the word to grow in your identity. Also, the body of Christ is not an exclusive club. No, it's not an exclusive club. The body of Christ is an inclusive club that includes every believer. The moment you believe, you come into the body of Christ. And that is why we can have various people here today. So also, I wrote here, I say, because the gospel you receive is not a tribal gospel, right? It's not a tribal gospel. You can't begin to judge a person by their tribe. So even the same thing happens, you know. Some people say, oh, this particular tribe, they said they take care of their wives very well. Oh, this particular tribe is nice. No, it's, it has nothing to do with that in the body of Christ. So when you judge people, you judge them by their spirituals because they are spiritual people. By this, we don't cause division in the body of Christ. Do we get it? So we remain in the oneness as a family that we are. I wrote, I said, we all have a spirit. We are all believers. And we don't let any other identity determine the way we relate. So my conduct to a believer is based on our identity in Christ. Hallelujah. So my conduct to a believer, to the person sitting next to you, is based on your identity in Christ. I think we're done with that. The next provision that you have is leadership. The next provision that you have in Christ is what? Is leadership. I know I'm not giving scriptures, but for identity, you can read Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 4.15. For your identity in Christ, Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians chapter 1 also talks about it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 also talks about it. talks about growing up into Christ. So we'll move to the next provision. The next provision is leadership. Now, your identity does not invalidate leadership. You know, some people say, all of us are believers now. Why is pastor talking to me like that? Me too, I'm a believer. I can decide what I want. No. Now, if you read the book of Numbers, you can write it down. Numbers, Numbers 4. 6 to 10, Numbers 13, 30, Numbers chapter 12, Numbers chapter 16. You can write them down for leadership. You can see that although Israel was chosen and they were a people chosen by God, they had leadership and some people said, "Uh -uh, is it only Moses that God speaks to? God speaks to me too. And you know, you can go home and read what happened to them. So your identity does not mean that you are above leadership. You know, they say, oh, God, God speaks to the pastor. Me too, I've heard something. You don't do that because there's the leadership in the church. So that is one of God's provision for you, and you must know that. So my responsibility, my attitude, you can write that my attitude towards leadership is submission. My attitude towards the leadership of the church is submission. My attitude towards the leadership of the church is submission. Now, how do you grow in submission? The way to grow in submission is to grow in grace, which is the knowledge of Christ. So the way to grow in submission is to grow in what? Grace, which is what? The knowledge of Christ. So when you know that Christ established the church, right? You know that Christ puts leadership in the church. You know that Christ gave you an identity. Then, when you are instructed, when you are reproved, when you are corrected, when you are trained, it's easier to submit. Because your submission to the leadership of the church is what? It's submission to Christ. 
Do you get it? His submission to what? Is Christ. I wrote it here. I said, you know, don't, don't be a what-if Christian. You know what they call a what-if Christian? Don't be a scenario Christian. A scenario Christian is a Christian where when they teach something, when they teach something, let's say they teach speaking in tongues. What if I don't know what I'm saying? What if I don't understand what I'm saying? What if, what if, what if? Don't be a scenario Christian. Or they said, obey your pastors. You now come say, what if the pastor slapped me? Don't be a scenario Christian. Like, scenarios that don't, they don't, you just picture them. You cannot grow if you're a scenario Christian. Why? Because it hinders your obedience. Do you get that? It hinders your obedience. The first thing is what the Jesus says. What the scripture says. Obey your pastors, right? You hold on to that. Most of the time when we paint scenarios, are scenarios that you just heard stories. And don't be, the pastor said, don't be impressionable. Don't be quickly influenced. People are posting things online, you know, sharing things about what is happening in their local church. Their local church. And you are bringing into your own local church that has, you know, nothing related to you. I forgot to say also that actually the body of Christ is used for a general body of Christ and a local church too. So you should pay attention when you are reading and the emphasis. So don't be a scenario Christian. Your duty is to submit to the pastors. And the duty of the pastor is to reprove, correct, and train you. Now, the moment your pastor stops correcting you, maybe they've told you something once, they've told you twice, they've told you thrice, you should know that you are in danger. Not danger of what they will do to you, but the danger of the path you are following and where it will lead to. That is the truth. You can go and read, you know, the church in the wilderness about them in Exodus and Numbers, and you will see when instructions are given and people disobey. You can see their end. So, it means that when a pastor stops correcting you, there's a problem. In fact, you should come and say, sir, is everything okay? Because it's their duty to do that. Also, for the pastors, it is the pastor's job to be persistent. Persistent. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Let's go there. Let's just pick that one. It is the pastor's job to be persistent. Persistent means to be pestering your life with the scriptures. And that's what it means. And it means that we have to continue to do what we are doing as pastors. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. It said, keep a close watch on yourself, right, which is the pastor, and on the teaching. Persist in these. For doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it is not wrong for somebody to be pesting your life, right? It is a duty. So if I'm not pestering your life, I'm doing diplomatic, that means I'm not doing my duty. Do you get that? So it's our job to say, do this, do this, do this, and we keep saying. Now, the essence of that is not because of you. Don't forget, it is for the body of Christ. It is for the body of Christ. Imagine three people are standing together, right? Three people are standing together. And they say, hold your hands. And they are holding their hands. And one is holding someone and is at the same time pressing phone. And they want to do a tug of war, whatever they call it. Do you think somebody holding someone and pressing phone and is holding the next person is strong enough to win the other team? No. That is the way the body of Christ is. Do you get it? That is the way the body of Christ is. That in all that we do, is for us to be strengthened as a people. So when pastor corrects one person, don't go and meet the person and say, forget what the pastor said. Or don't go and be arguing or discussing. The point is that both of you are, you know, disconnecting the body of Christ. What you are doing is, the person will not be edified. When you tell another person, the person too will not be edified. Before you know. Do we get it? So corrections are to be taken. Corrections are to be received. Correction are to be enjoyed, even if it's painful. And pastors must continually persist. Okay? They must continually persist in our lives. Hallelujah. Numbers, okay, I think we, I said that already. Numbers 12 and 16, which is about people who actually rebelled against Moses. 
and how they ended. Now, the last one is actually honoring the word of God. Honoring the word of God. Honoring the word of God. That's the third provision that you have. The attitude and the provision comes together. So you honor the word of God. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Let's go there. I think I'm going to read that. And we can see how people honor the word of God. And how people dishonor the word of God. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. It said, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we were able, for we are able to overcome it. And the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people. Now, if you read downwards, verse chapter 14, verse 6. Just go to the next chapter, 14, verse 6. And it said, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out of the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. And do not fear them. Now, this is a people who had listened and had received a promise of a land, right? In context of a land. And this word was continually passed on from generation to generation. Until their generation. And when it got to the time for God to fulfill all that he has spoken pertaining them going into a particular land. They began to say no. It's impossible. In fact, what you are saying is a fiction because it's impossible for us to take over from these people. So it means that they dishonored the promise and the word of God. That is what they did. Only for Caleb and, and who? And Joshua to uphold the word of God. So honoring the word of God is simply believing the word of God. So write it down. Honoring the word of God is believing the word of God. Whatsoever your pastor teaches is from the word of God and you believe. You believe the word of God. Don't be easily influenced. Don't be impressionable. Don't make references. But in all of it, you believe the word of God. So to dishonor the word of God is to take it lightly. To not make it a priority. To make a decision outside the word of God. That's what dishonoring the word of God is. So you make a decision outside the word of God. Once again, the reason why we are teaching this and we're talking about it in the context of the body of Christ is because the weaknesses that you feel as a person in your walk with God affects the whole body of Christ. Your disobedience to the word affects you. Let's say this, they say pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. You are not praying in tongues. The next person behind you is praying in tongues. Maybe there's a new, a new convert that is standing beside you. And they are saying praying in tongues and you're just folding your hands. Or they say pray, you sit down. You are, you are affecting everybody that is around you. That is what it is. So when they say pray, honor the word of God, pray in tongues. When they say stand up, stand up and pray. When they say, you know, this is what the word of God says, that we are one body. And you must receive correction. You receive it with thanksgiving. Hallelujah. So the conduct of a believer is actually honoring his identity, the leadership, and the word of God.
Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. I think that's, that's what we'll pull through. 2 Corinthians. That's 2 Corinthians that we read. I think 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. So when we read from verse, verse 6, it says, For God who said, let light shine. So it's talking about God who has caused forth salvation, right? The light and the knowledge of God. What does it bring? Bring salvation. When someone believes the word of God, when someone receives the knowledge of God, bring salvation. Now, if you read down from verse 13, you will see something. It says, since we have the same spirits of faith. Can we go there? Are you there? Verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe, so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord will also raise us up. We also raise us with Jesus, bringing us with us, sorry, bringing us with you into his presence. Verse 15 now says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving and what? And glory to God. So it means that as the knowledge of God increases to more people, right? As the knowledge of God grows to more people, it means that as the church increases in number, right? Increases in number of those who believe, thanksgiving is unto God. And glory is also what is given unto what? Unto God. So our conduct in the body of Christ is actually something that affects all of us. So if they are giving you instructions to go and do evangelism, right? The essence of evangelism is that you can have one more soldier. Let me call it that way. You can have one more soldier that is recruited into the body of Christ. So don't, don't just think it from a single, oh, I'm going to do evangelism. I'm going to get a crown. I'm going to get all this. It's beautiful. And the scriptures explains that, that the one who wins souls is what? He's wise. And there's a reward for that. Hallelujah. There's a reward for that. On a broader picture is that you are bringing someone who can strengthen you into the body of Christ. So as the knowledge of grace is shared abroad much more, we have more people who can encourage us. As you honor the word, as you obey the word of God, Think about, in fact, let me put it this way. When you want to disobey, when you want to disobey an instruction, think about the impact of it on the next person. Let's say they, they, they instruct you to come for cell meeting or you are instructed to attend the foundation school. You think about the impact of not going in the, in the life of the next person. It is discouraging. I tell you that. It is very discouraging. Or we call you to do a function and you are not prepared. It is very discouraging. And that is, that is the truth. Do we get it? And that is the truth. So, your conduct in the body of Christ, anything you do, even the way you talk, the way you address people, the way you encourage people, let it be from a broader perspective of how it affects all of us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, and we just... We just close on that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It said, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Now, he's trying to say, that God's provision for the church, right? God's provision for the church, which is the leadership, the identity that we have, the word of God, is that it will align us. It will make us align at a point where we will all have a focus about Christ, a perspective about Christ. Do we get it? So it means that if I disobey the instructions of the church or I refuse to receive corrections or I refuse to participate it means that I'm dragging the church behind in attaining that oneness in the knowledge of the in the knowledge of Christ. Do we get it? 
So, for all of us to come into unity, unity is not just sitting down, it's not when we hold our hands to pray, no. Is that in our conduct and in the way we see Christ, in the way we see situations, in the way we talk about money, in the way we talk about family, in the way we talk about career, in the way we talk about every aspect of life, we do what? We see it from the dimension of Christ. Even in the way we talk about discipline and righteousness, we see it in what? In the dimension of Christ. That is what helps us to come to the unity of faith in Christ Jesus. Because when somebody says, this is what, you know, let's say pastor is teaching something about money now, and he was teaching money, and we're talking about asceticism, and somebody said, oh, no, just come up and say, no, I have an opinion. What you are doing is dividing the body of Christ. Opinions that are not, you know, they're not even found in the scriptures. So don't have an opinion, right? If you have questions in the body of Christ, what you do is you come to your pastors and you ask questions and it's being given. Do we get it? Sometimes some questions are not even meant to be asked publicly, sincerely, because it affects the faith of somebody else. I'm serious. Some questions are meant to be asked directly to your pastors. Why? Because someone is growing, right? Someone is growing and the person just hears that question. The person will not be there when the pastor will be giving the explanation. You just said it publicly. So, we must be cautious of what we do in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. We must pay attention to it. We must be cautious. We must put all concentration, knowing fully well that in the way you, onto the way you dress, you affect somebody in the body of Christ. That's your conduct. In conclusion, I wrote something. I said, never think that the church is against you. No. The church can never be against you. Even when you are being reproved. Even when there's, a, there's, there's edification upon edification upon you. It's not, it's not just you. Even if also it is in the aspect of giving. Maybe you are receiving, you know, you are the one the pastors give their attention to. It's not because of you. It's because of the body. It's because we know that one day, you yourself, you would grow people. That's why we give you attention. For those of you that have the attention. Yes, I'm saying that because you will not become conceited in yourself. You will know that that which is given to you is for the body. So the church is not against you. Neither is the church trying to send that things around you. But it's mainly for all of us. So always think about the collective growth of the church. Always think about the collective growth of the church. Anytime you think, think about the collective growth of the church. You want things to happen this way, this way, this way. The church says it's this way, this way, this way. Follow. Just follow. That is what they call, you know, the body of Christ. You follow because there's leadership. Always think about the collective growth of the church. In every decision, in every correction, in every admonition, it is for the growth of the church. And I wrote it there. I said, you would not be able to hold on to offenses if you have this mindset. And that is why I close. That if you have this mindset in you, you will not be able to. I'm not saying you will not be offended, though. That's not what I said. Somebody might offend you in the body of Christ. But you will not hold on to it. To hold on to offense means that to begin to conduct yourself in a manner based on that offense. So I come into the church and because someone offends me, I don't greet the person. Or I just decide to, to just ease at the person or you know, do some things at the person. So, that is what they call holding on to offense. When you hold on to it, it determines your conduct. But when you understand that everything is for the growth of the church, what it does is that you release the offense, you forgive, and you conduct yourself according to the provisions of God in you. Hallelujah. Can we just rise on our feet and just give thanks to God? Can we just give thanks, say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you because I'm a member of the body of Christ. Can you just say thank you, Father? Thank you because I belong to a local church. I'm a, I'm a member of the body of Christ. Thank you for all your provisions. Thank you for all your provisions. The last prayer, just say, Lord, help me to conduct myself righteously in the body of Christ. Help me to conduct myself righteously in the church. Help me to be receptive to the instructions of the teachers, to the instructions of the pastors. Just say, Lord, help me to be receptive to the instructions of the teachers. 
Say, I'm a committed believer. I'm obedient to the church of God. I yield myself to the leadership of the church. Just, just pray and say, Lord, Lord, help the pastors to remain persistent in teaching the word, in instructing me, in helping me to grow. Say, Lord, give the pastors more strength, never to keep quiet, but to keep instructing us in righteousness. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope you were blessed by this teaching. If you want to learn more about our church, please visit our website or follow us on social media. We would love to connect with you and hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel and share it with your friends and family. You never know who might need a word of encouragement.